Daniel chapter 5 in your Bibles. You've heard of haunted houses. How about haunted parties? Here's the situation. The year is 539 B.C. The place, Babylon. The center of the most powerful, the most wealthy empire in the world. The Babylonian Empire. Specifically, in Daniel 5, we are in Belshazzar's Banquet Hall. Belshazzar's Banquet Hall, according to archaeologists, is the same size as the main section of the White House. The Bible reports in Daniel chapter 5 that over a thousand people, the elite of the Babylonian culture, were there along with King Belshazzar, the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Belshazzar, his wives, and hundreds of his concubines. And the booze was flowing. In a drunken stupor, Belshazzar orders that the sacred holy cups that had been captured from Jerusalem in the temple of Jehovah God, that the holy cups that were dedicated and consecrated to God be brought into his party. And he, his wives, his concubines, his nobles began to drink their wine from those cups and in turn toast their gods. I can see that it has not impacted you. It would be tantamount to a drunkard staggering down the center aisle into our service in the middle of a communion service and take one of our communion cups and pour out the juice and pour in a shot of whiskey and a drunk standing before you all and giving a toast to the devil. Now you understand. Belshazzar had hardly emptied his cup he had barely uttered his toast to his gods when suddenly the room became unearthly still. It was as though someone had unplugged the party. And there was a collective gasp as everyone looked on the far wall and there was a disembodied ghostly hand writing on the wall. You've heard the expression, the writing's on the wall. It comes from Daniel chapter 5. As a disembodied hand began writing these words in Aramaic, meanie, meanie, tikal, parson, or Perez. The language was common, Aramaic, but the meaning was unclear. The Bible says that Belshazzar was so shaken, so terrified, that his knees began to knock together. Literally, he was losing it. He screams for his wizards, sorcerers, witches, 
He asked for the occultist to come. No one could interpret the meaning of those words. No one except the man of God. Daniel, the man of God, comes. Daniel, different from the people-pleasing platitudes that are so often uttered from today's pulpits. Daniel lost no time and he pointed his holy finger at unholy Belshazzar and he said, Belshazzar, King Belshazzar, you are a fool to blaspheme God who holds your very life in his hands. Think of it this morning. If you were to place your hand over your heart, that heart beats a 100,000 times a day. And God holds every beat. Daniel begins to decipher the cryptic message. Daniel says the word meanie means that God has numbered the days of your rule and your reign and he has brought it to an end. Belshazzar did not have next year. He did not have next month. He didn't have next week. He didn't even have 24 hours. God is saying, tonight your soul will be required of thee. Tekel, Daniel said, you have been weighed in God's balances, and you have been found wanting. God weighs both people and nations. He is not naive. He does not put his head in the sand. Parson or Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. The Babylonians thought that their city, which had 300-foot-high walls, was impregnable, invincible, unstoppable. But that very night, history records in 539 B.C., the, Bab the Babylonians who were comfortable and cozy within their thought-to-be-impregnable city were invaded by the Medes and the Persians under Cyrus, their king. They redirected the course of the river that flowed under the walls. They dried up the river. They walked along the riverbed under the walls, conquered the city of Babylon that very night, and Belshazzar's head was placed under the foot of an elephant, as was the custom of a defeated foe, and his head was crushed like an egg. And God's word was fulfilled in one hour. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting, wanting. The message, God is actively weighing us all and our nation. If we don't learn from the past, we're doomed to repeat it. November the 8th, coming up rapidly, is election day. Election day. I don't need to tell you. Are you tired of all the commercials? Yeah. Are you tired of all the road signs, phone calls, people knocking on your door? 
surveying, polling. November the 8th is election day. In fact, for the first time, our church will be used as a voting precinct in our chapel. From a biblical perspective, this election is the most pivotal and the most critical ever for our nation. Now let me be clear. My Lakeside family, our congregation and community, let me be clear. This pulpit, or any other pulpit, should never be a place to promote political agendas, political candidates, or parties. But when the issues that are at stake intersect with the teachings of God's Word, we cannot, I will not, we shall not be silent. I'm accountable to God. And I must preach the holy truth of God's Word. We shall not be silent. Would you stand with me this morning in reverence to this holy Word? Would you stand with me this morning? Let's hear from Daniel once again. Let's hear what Daniel said to the grandfather of Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar, in chapter 2. Daniel said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises others up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. And then to Belshazzar, Daniel said in Daniel 5, The Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world. And hear this, and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. This morning I share the message. It's more of a presentation than a normal sermon. I share the presentation this morning who you should be voting for. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, grant us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and believe what the Spirit is saying to the church in this hour. In the name of Jesus. And everyone would say, Amen. You may be seated. If you would like to follow along with me and take notes this morning, I've given you a sermon study guide to fill in the blanks and to follow along with me this morning. I ask the question, has America become the new Babylon? You see, as no other nation, America was founded upon the Word of God. Despite what historical revisionists would like to tell us and our children in school, our laws, our constitution, our bill of rights were intentionally based upon the Bible, God's word. We stamped in God we trust upon our coinage, our currency. We declared Thanksgiving as a national holiday. The Ten Commandments were posted in schools, classrooms, courts, public places. Every school day for most of American history, every school day was opened with prayer. Every session of Congress 
opened with an invocation of prayer. Upon being sworn into office, every president of these United States of America has placed his hand upon the Bible, God's Word, as he was sworn into office. This is the America of history. This is the America that we have been brought up in. And God blessed our nation with unprecedented prosperity and blessing. Think of it in a relatively short time historically. God has elevated these United States of America from infancy to number one superpower status like no other nation in human history. Yet tragically, our ship of state, America, has become a titanic. We have believed that our might, our technology, our power has made us invincible, impregnable, unstoppable, unsinkable like the Titanic. In our power, we have grown proud and godless. Who would have thought just a generation ago we would be facing the issues that are confronting our nation this coming election day. You see, despite all the characterizations and profiling of the presidential candidates, elections are more about the voters than the candidates. November 8th, election day, will reveal the soul of America. Whether it's light or darkness, light or darkness. Write it down. Election day will reveal whether you choose light or darkness by your vote on our nation's financial policies. Think of it with me. Just 30 years ago, the United States was the greatest lender nation in the world. We lent money to nations around the world, the greatest lender nation. Today we're the greatest debtor nation. As of this morning, our national debt stands at nearly $20 trillion, a number that is so astronomical our human minds cannot wrap themselves around that number. Our debt has doubled over the last eight years. We are nearing the point where just the annual interest on the national debt will consume all tax revenue. God, God said to his people regarding economic judgment in Deuteronomy, God said this, foreigners will become richer and richer while you become poorer and poorer. They shall lend to you, not you to them. They shall be the head and you shall be the what? Who holds more of our national debt than any other foreign investor? China. What if China pulls out? What will happen when Congress doesn't vote the way that China wants? 
We're nearing the time when America will no longer be in control of our economic destiny. We're printing more and more and more money, and our dollars are worth less and less, and someday they won't be worth the paper that they're printed on. If anyone tells you today, you look as sound as a dollar, you better start shopping for a casket. And by the way, for years, the federal government, the federal government has been stealing from what fund? The Social Security Fund, replacing it with IOUs, worth only what the government is willing and able to pay on those IOUs. And that great resource has been bled dry, and no one knows the solution of how to put it back in order, or consider the sense of entitlement that the American populace has weaned its teeth upon and been nurtured upon through welfare. Let's be clear. For the truly disabled... For the truly physically and mentally challenged, for the truly needy, for the true widows that have children, like my mother-in-law who raised eight children all by herself. I believe in entitlements. I believe in welfare. It is a privilege to support them with my tax dollars. This is the word of the Lord, Deuteronomy 15, for there never will cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. But when the government continues to tax people who work to give money to people who can work but won't work, and in many cases, they're spending that money on booze and casinos and pornography. It's no wonder entitlement roles have doubled in the last four years to nearly 50 million Americans on entitlement. They say, why go to work? Why get a job? Have you noticed in this area how many for hire signs are out there? Ask the employer, ask the business, why is it so hard to hire people? And they will tell you, because people have discovered they make more money sitting at home on welfare than they do going to work. Paul said this in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Paul said this, we gave you this rule. He who does not work shall not eat. By the way, we not only, not, we not only need to give this message to those that are subsisting on entitlements from our government, we need to give this message to our young adults who are living in mom and dad's basement. That is not in my notes. I just went on a bunny trail right there. You don't work, you don't eat. And by the way, you know, we're always hearing about how Social Security is going to run uh, uh, out of money. How come we never hear about welfare running out of money? 
And adding insult to, to, to injury, uh, now we have the Affordable Health Care Act. On the surface, it sounds so idealistic, providing the uninsured with, with health care, but it is biblically and morally wrong to spend money we don't have causing more borrowing and the more printing of money. It's wrong to burden our children and our grandchildren with an economic environment of hyperinflation. It's wrong to force Christian businesses, religious-run institutions like Catholic hospitals uh, to do something that violates their religious beliefs like abortion. It's wrong to make the American people uh, to pay for tax-funded abortions. It's wrong to create the conditions for a single payer provider setting the scenario for our children and grandchildren to become slaves of the state. Pastor, I'm fearful about America's economic future. I want to remind you, sir, ma'am, young person, I want to remind you our provision doesn't come from Wall Street. Our provision doesn't come from Detroit's Big Three. Our provision doesn't come from Congress or the White House. Our source is God. Our source is God. If my faith if my confidence was centered around the American dollar, I'd give birth to a peptic ulcer. But my Bible and your Bible says in Psalms 37, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or the children begging bread. Hallelujah. He's a good God and he takes care of his own. By the way, have you heard of the golden rule? Have you heard of the golden rule? He who has the gold rules. Who has the gold? Your Bible and my Bible says in Haggai, God says the silver is mine and the gold is mine. God, your God, is not controlled by the Federal Reserve. He's not controlled by Wall Street or Washington. He's in charge. He is God. He's on the throne and everything's going to be all right. Election day will reveal whether you choose light or darkness in respect to homosexuality, transgenderism, and the sanctity of marriage. When I was a young teenager, I thought the word gay meant happy. What, what Christmas song has gay apparel in it? Yeah, it, it just proves a point. The adoption of the word gay by the homosexual community was a marketing genius. Read the gay agenda of 1972. They have almost fulfilled every point of their vision and their agenda for America. You can Google that. Think of the new world our children and our grandchildren are inheriting. Homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, transgenderism, transsexuals. And now Miley Cyrus has revealed that she's pansexual, whatever that is. 
lifestyles that are now openly shoved in our faces and down our throats through the media and taught in our public schools as an alternative lifestyle. What are LGBT rights? There are none. Let me say it again. There are none. There are individual civil rights granted every single American citizen, as it should be. LGBT legislation is an attempt to force our government to grant the LGBT community the same minority status as minority racial groups. But pastor, I've heard that gays are born gays. Pastor, I've heard there's a gay gene. Next time somebody tries to sell you that bill of goods, that gays are born gay, that there's a, a predisposition towards uh, gayness because of a gay uh, a gene, I want you to point to the many studies that involve identical, identical twins where only one of the two siblings has become homosexual and the other has chosen to remain heterosexual. The gene theory, the gay gene theory, has so many holes in it, it whistles when it walks. There's never been found, never been discovered a gay gene. In addition, the Bible speaks about a time when the people will seek justice. And they will not find any. For instance, even though the state of Colorado, the state of California, our state, Michigan, and state after state overwhelmingly voted against same-sex marriage in our states, activist federal judges ruled that our votes did not and finally, on June the 26th, 2015 of last year, the White House was lit up with rainbow colors of light as the White House celebrated the Supreme Court ruling. What was the Supreme Court ruling? That your vote, our votes, did not count and would only count if they fit the dictates of a politically correct homosexual agenda and same-sex marriage was made made the law and the provision of the land. Let there be no misunderstanding. Despite how the courts, Hollywood, and the politically correct crowd might make it, despite how nice certain LGBT acquaintances might be in your circle of relationships, it doesn't change the fact that God views these lifestyles, uh, these behaviors as an abomination, as perversion, as sin. He loves the LGBT community. We need to love the LGBT community. We need to communicate God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's kindness to them. But we must condemn the behavior. We must condemn the lifestyle. We love the person, but we condemn the sin. But preacher, I've heard that the Bible is silent on this issue. You're talking to the wrong preacher. 
Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, quickly here. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Deuteronomy chapter 22, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, does that mean that a woman can't wear, uh, you know, slacks? No, no, no. What God's dealing with here is transgenderism, transsexual behavior. Nothing's new under the sun. God's word hits it right on the head. He says it's an abomination. Your argument is not with me, it's with God. Romans chapter 1, verse 26, because some say it's just in the Old Testament. Romans 1, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Corinthians, Paul says, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know how clear God's word can be more. Election day. Election day. Election day will reveal whether you choose light or darkness by how you vote on the sanctity of human life. Since the Supreme Court's 1973 ruling opening the hellish gates of abortion, there's been a 5,000% increase in the killing, the murdering of the unborn. Nearly, as of last night, I googled this, nearly 60 million Preborn babies have been killed. The vast majority for sheer convenience. Abortion has become an unimaginable holocaust. It's a national shame. And it's a grievous sin before a holy God. The psalmist declared in Psalms 106, they even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. Today, it's an altar of convenience. Today, it is the doctrination of demons. The Bible says, and they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters. And the land was polluted with the blood the most common abortion is the first trimester abortion. After the heart has been beating for eight weeks, after there's been brain activity for six weeks, after an unborn child is already sucking their thumb, a vacuum procedure literally rips apart and dismembers the unborn baby. And I declare to you that the land is polluted with blood. Second trimester abortions. There are more than 150,000 of these late-term abortions that are committed each year. While vacuum aspiration abortion procedures are commonly used and initiated, 
You need to understand that saline abortions are still being practiced. This is where the amniotic fluid is drained and replaced by a highly acidic saline solution. The unborn child is not only killed and a dead baby delivered, but these are called cherry babies because of being so drastically burned and blistered. It's argued and debated well, second and third trimester abortions are extremely rare. Only 1% of all abortions. Do the math. That means it happens 15,000 times a year, 40 times a day. It's like a major plane crash every three to five days. And I declare to you, the land is polluted with blood. You say, Pastor, I didn't come to hear this. I come to hear a positive word. I came to be uplifted. We are called by God, according to God's word in Ephesians 4, to expose the works of darkness. To expose. And it's about time the church gets its head out of the sand. And I've never been more proud of this church than when this church has helped unwed mothers in its ministries and its outreaches. But numbers, me just citing numbers and giving the math, I do not believe suffices. In a few moments, we're going to ask you to close your eyes because it's not what you see that is important, but it's what you hear. Right where you are, I just want you to, right there in your seats, just shut your eyes. What you're about to hear are the sounds of metal BBs striking the side of a tin can. For every BB that strikes, it represents 10,000 lives lost in the wars of America's past. 10,000 lives for every BB. This is the reality of what is occurring in your country. The American Revolution, the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, the Korean Conflict, the Conflict in Vietnam. September 11th and the War on Terror. Since 1973, the War on the Unborn Child. 
help us. Oh God, oh God, have mercy upon our land. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, Jesus said, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. When I first heard that on the radio, I had to pull the car to the side of the road. And I cried and I cried. Lord, forgive me for not doing more. How can we as a church look the other way? How could we at elections, how can the evangelical, the Christian church, vote their pocketbook instead of an issue such as this? Listen, man might want to change laws. Man might want to change morality and values. But we serve one who has said, I am the Lord thy God and I change not. I change not. And I want to remind you that even though the vocabulary of America has changed in respect to sin, I want you to know that God's vocabulary in respect to sin hasn't changed. They call it free love, an extramarital affair, an extramarital fling. God calls it fornication. God calls it adultery. They call it freedom of expression. God calls it profanity. He calls it pornography. They call it LGBT rights. God calls it sodomy, perversion, and abomination. They call it free choice, a woman's right to choose. God calls it murder. It's a national holocaust, a national shame. And we need to see the end of it. America is being weighed in the balances and found wanting. If God doesn't do something about America, he owes an apology to Sodom, Gomorrah, and Babylon. desires to bless America. He desires to restore her. We want to say, America, you're too young to die. But if America does not repent, we are doomed to the same fate as a Babylon. I'm talking about judgment. The Word of God says in Deuteronomy 30, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Listen, sometimes one of the worst things in life is to get what you want. As a result of doing what you want to do instead of doing what you ought to do. This is America's story. 
God is saying to our nation, if you want to take money from people who work and give it to those who don't work, if you want to spend more money than you take in, if you want to divorce yourself from my word and my laws and my presence, if you want to embrace immorality, perversion, and idolatry, if you want to continue to ignore my people Israel and court their Middle Eastern uh, enemies, if you want that, you can have that and the judgment that goes along with it. You see, sin carries its own penalty. My Bible and your Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Sin has its own kickback. God does not even have to judge. It's no wonder America is dying a slow death. And the handwriting could already be on the wall for America. We are facing, I don't need to tell you, for those of you that your favorite TV channel is the Weather Channel, we are facing unprecedented weather conditions. How many times have you heard the forecasters say, this is unprecedented rain, this is unprecedented flooding, this is unprecedented tornadoes. In the last 30 years, people worry about climate change. We need to start fearing the one who controls the climate. And then when it comes to economic judgment, read the history of the nations, both in the Bible and outside of the Bible. Judgment first began upon a nation's economy. If there is not a course correction in the American economy, an American president will be faced with just two choices. Either he will declare America bankrupt and we will default, or... The Treasury Department will be ordered to keep printing more and more money, resu resulting in a, a round of hyperinflation that will destroy our American economy. Just as we'll never forget 9-11, there could very well be a day in our future that we will remember the day the dollar died. And it's not worth the paper it's printed upon. Do you want to hear there's hope? Do you want to hear there's hope? <laughs> How many of you want to embrace hope this morning? You want to leave this service with some good news. Some good news. The good news is this. God has a prescription for a sick nation, a sick people. He's got a prescription for his children for the days ahead. Oh, Pastor, I, I am so worried about the election. Uh, uh, I've never fretted about an election more than this one. I'm not. God's in control. God's in control. You see, the main message behind the book of Daniel, the main message behind Daniel chapter 5, in fact, the whole Bible, is this. God is in control. God is in control. Romans 13, there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. For the authorities are whose servants? God's. And never forget it. 
God has an agenda for the nations. He's got an agenda for America. And he's got a destiny for your life. Live according to this word. This word is life. This word is good news. This word is prosperity. This word is health and wholeness. Live according to his word. Embrace his hope. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Hallelujah! As God looks down upon you and sees Jesus all over you, He can declare and say, This is my child in whom I am well pleased. Hey, God your Father is not sitting in a rocking chair up in heaven suffering from Alzheimer's. He's not wringing his hands uh, wondering, oh my, what am I going to do? Election day is coming. Oh my, oh my, oh America, America, let's make a deal. And he's saying, no, America, here is the deal. I am the Lord thy God, and I change not. I change not. Listen, in the days ahead, move in God confidence. No fear, no fear, no fear. Uh, for we know in whom we have believed and that he is able to keep that which he has committed unto him against that day. Hallelujah. Secondly, exercise your right to vote. Exercise your right to vote. Jesus said to whom much is given, much will be required. We have the freedom. We have the privilege to control, in a sense, the destiny of our nation by voting. Vote. Use it or lose it. Will you vote for biblical values? Will you vote to protect the unborn? Will your vote protect marriage and the family the way that God intended? Will your vote protect our nation's financial legacy for our children and our grandchildren? Or will you disregard it all and vote your pocketbook? So you can get more free handouts. God help us. The greatest weapon, the greatest weapon, the greatest weapon that God has given his children for the darkness invading our nation. Let there be no doubt. It's prayer. My Bible and your Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. The ultimate answer, the ultimate answer for our nation will never be found in the ballot box. It's found in the prayer room. The time of prayer is power. The place of prayer is power. The people of prayer are a people of power. America's future is not in the hands of the ungodly. It's in the hands of God's children who pray. Who pray. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to remind you we are more than American citizens. We are citizens of a far greater kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We're king's kids. And it's our calling. Yea, it is our mandate to pray, Thy kingdom come. 
When you pray, thy kingdom come, you're praying for souls to be saved, marriages to be mended, families to be restored, and a nation to be revived. Hallelujah. When we pray thy kingdom come, we're praying for that day where there will come one who has nail-pierced hands and he'll descend from heaven upon the Mount of Olives and he will walk into the United Nations. He will walk into the halls of Congress. He'll walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. He'll walk into the White House and declare, I'm in charge now. Get out of the way. Church, pray, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Listen, I'm not despondent regarding America's future or the answer for this world. I know that the answer is not in legislation, education, behavior modification, or more taxation. I know that the answer is not in more police or more prisons or more programs or more Prozacs. I know that the answer is not with the Republicans or the Democrats. The answer is and always has been the kingdom come. Christian, church, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Keep praying thy kingdom come. For you that are weary of all the crime, the violence, the school shootings, the workplace shootings, the mall shootings, for those of you that are weary of the perversion, the antichrist culture, keep praying thy kingdom come. To you this morning that are sick and afflicted in body, I want to remind you of the promise that God is still in the miracle healing business. I remind you there's coming a day that we shall be changed. Changed in a twinkling of an eye. Keep praying, thy kingdom come. To the atheists, to the secular humanists, to the abortionists, to the paganists, to the demonic terrorists of hell itself, we put you on notice. There is still a holy remnant. There is still a blood-washed multitude. There is still a church that's interceding. They are praying, Thy kingdom come. And of course... Of course, of course, <laughs> I remind you, there's no kingdom without a king. There's no kingdom without a king. I remind you that this time, <laughs> this time, he's not coming back to be laid in a manger or to come riding a donkey. He's not coming back uh, to be beaten, cursed, or spit upon. Next time he comes back, it's not to wear a crown of thorns or to be nailed to a cross and to be crucified. Next time he comes, it won't be on a namby-pamby Air Force One. He's riding upon a milk-white stallion, thundering through the clouds, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. From the people of God. Glory to Jesus. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. I began this message. I began this message by stating the title, Who You 
should be voting for. You might as well all stand this morning. Let's be together on this. Who you should be voting for. I want to reveal who I'm voting for, and I want to reveal who you, my church, the people of God, should be voting for. I don't put my hope in a man or a woman. Let's be clear. I don't put my trust, my hope in the Republicans, the Democrats, or even the Tea Party. Or the Libertarians. The one that I put my hope in. He's not a part of a political party. He's independent. And oh, how independent he is. We need to put our hope in the one before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Have you voted for Him? Are you voting for Him? Does He have your vote? Does He have your vote? He's the only answer. You want real hope and change? Try Jesus. He's the only answer. He's your only hope. I was recently asked, I was recently asked by Shelby Township to come to their board of trustee meeting. And to give the invocation and lead in the Pledge of Allegiance. I hope that you can join us next week, Sunday afternoon. I invite you on behalf of Shelby Township for Veterans Day commemoration. I've been asked not only to pray, but to be their speaker, which is a great honor to be asked by your local community. And as I prayed, I prayed as I often do, and I concluded my prayer that night, the invocation before the Board of Trustee meeting by concluding my prayer with, and God bless America. And I prayed amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I left the meeting and a man chased me out and he pointed his bony finger at me. He said, I was offended by your prayer. I said, oh really, you won't be the first one. I said, how so? You prayed God bless America for all the evils and the perversion in our nation, you should have prayed God blank America. And he used the D word. I said, my dear friend, I want you to know if God ever cursed America fully, you and I would be totally annihilated. Nothing would exist. 
Yes, I agree with you. There's many flaws. There's many failings. There's much sin, much evil in America. But I say, America, you're too young to die. And our God is in the miracle business, I told him. He's in the business of not only reviving dead people, dead churches, but dead nations. When I pray, God bless America, sir, I am praying God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's grace upon this land from sea to shining sea. Sir, I feel sorry for you. Because I'm going to keep praying, God bless America. He said, well, I want you to know, as he walked away, I'll never come to your church. I said, that's fine with me. <laughs> a praying church is a victorious church. A praying church is an overcoming church. We're going to close this service in prayer. But before we do, let us be reminded that our only hope is to keep praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Church, Lakeside Assembly of God, Christian, will you keep praying, God bless America. You may be seated right now as we not only pray it, but let's sing it.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you clasp the hand of the one next to you this morning? Hold the hand of the one next to you this morning. If you need to, come across the aisleways. Amen. Amen. Precious Jesus, we need to pray. God bless America. We need to pray. Thy kingdom come. There's power in prayer. The Bible reveals there's especially power in the prayer of agreement. Whenever any people come into agreement at any one place and one time in the one prayer, there's power in the prayer of agreement. I invite you to pray with me. Don't allow me just to pray alone. Pray with me right now. Father, we come before your throne. Lord, we press into your presence, not upon our own authority, not based upon our own good works or our own good intentions. We enter into the throne room of grace, clothed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, shed upon the cross of Calvary. And Lord, as we approach and petition your throne, we lift up these United States of America. Lord, you have blessed us in unprecedented ways down through our history. You have protected us. You have preserved us. You have prospered us. But Lord, we have faltered. We have gone our own way. And today we humble ourselves and we repent of the sins of America. And Lord, we cry, have mercy, mercy, mercy upon this land. Lord, forgive us of the sins, O oh God, that we have transgressed. Lord, forgive us for your holy laws that have been broken. Forgive us for the national shame, the unimaginable holocaust of abortion. Lord, stay your hand of judgment upon this nation. And Lord, I pray from sea to shining sea, revive us again. Do it again, God. You've done it before. Do it again. God, I ask that, Lord, in these days ahead, since you are the God who promotes leaders and disposes leaders, since you are the one who raises up kings and, Lord, brings them down into the dust, Lord, we pray, O oh God, for your kingdom will to be established in this election. Lord, we look unto Thee, our God, for we know in whom we have believed and that You are able to keep that which we have committed unto You against that day. Lord Jesus, allow Your people to be endued with power, Your Holy Spirit from on high. Allow us to walk in God confidence with our shoulders square, our heads lifted high. We know in whom, O oh Lord, we 
belong. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We are the blood-washed multitude. We, oh God, are children of the Most High God. We're king's kids. And Lord, allow us to act like it. No fear. No fear. Only faith in the days ahead in our God who will not and cannot change. The Lord our God. Now God, I pray your blessing upon your children. And Lord, if there are those that are here this morning, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If there are those that are here this morning, you're not sure that you're right with God. You're not sure that you have a home in heaven. And you would like to be sure. Today is your day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Don't put off for tomorrow what you should do today. Belshazzar thought that he had all kinds of tomorrows. He didn't even have the next day. How about it? Isn't it time that you said yes to Jesus? I'm not asking you to belong to this church. I'm inviting you to join Jesus. If you're not sure you're right with God and you'd like to be sure, if you're not sure you have a home in heaven and you want to be confident of that, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one is looking around, if you would like to be included in a prayer that will make you right with God and give you a home in heaven, just lift up your hand right now so that I can see it. Lift up your hand right now as a demonstration of your faith. God bless you. God bless you. Yes. How many more? Just lift it up on high. Yes, you might have to let go of the hand you're holding to. Lift it up on high. I don't want to leave anyone out. God bless you. Yes, I see that hand in the back. God bless you. Amen. Yes, God bless you. Praise the Lord. Yes, up on the balcony, I see those hands. God bless you. Everyone pray this prayer with me, especially those who lifted up their hands. Pray this prayer out loud. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now. And I confess, I'm a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. I believe you died for me. You paid the price for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Jesus, thank you for hearing me for cleansing me, for changing me, for giving me a home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I'm saved. In the name of Jesus, I receive this as I believe it. Amen.